Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into 11 Personnel. Nick Roush here, as always, joined by Adam Luckett. And we are sponsored by our good friends at Port Royal Plants. That's right. Port Royal Plants is bringing you every episode for the rest of the season on 11 Personnel. If you haven't checked out Port Royal Plants yet, go ahead and do that. They, they provide Kentucky Proud products. CBD It's the best of the best. Process manufactured in Kentucky right there in Henry County, because your mind and body deserve quality products you can trust. Visit portroyalplants.com to learn more and try out some of their products. They got their CBD, natural tick, mosquito, and bug spray. Great for the fall when you're out in nature. Uh, It's also just any outdoor activity. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply whether you're tailgating, going to football games, or hiking during the beautiful fall months, visit portroyalplants.com and try it out today. And today we're going to try something different, Adam Luckett. Uh, That's right. I was uh, – I, I handed this off to you. You're not supposed to be here, Nick. <laughs> I'm not supposed <laughs> to be <laughs> I'm supposed to be in a delivery room, but this baby don't want to come. So we invited somebody who's had plenty of babies to tell me how it goes. Uh <laughs> Recruiting expert over at Rivals and Cats Illustrated, Justin Rowland joins the show. Justin, thanks a bunch for hanging out with us this week. Thanks, man. You've been through this. You know what to expect. You don't need any coaching. You got this on top of it, man. I, I, I'm not worried about this part, right? I'm more worried about like bedtime here in like a you know a month or two when you start. Like I, I'm not playing zone anymore, right? It's man to man between my wife and, and the two kids. So. Do you, do you have any tips there once you start adding numbers and you become outnumbered? Once you become outnumbered, you've really got to get strategic about where you position yourself. Basically, you know, if you go to a park, if you go somewhere in public, you, you got one person posted up here, another person posted up there. Fences come in handy. They come in a lot of handy. But you're, you're just going to ha- – the good thing is the more you have, the older you get, the less you ca- – I don't want to say the less you care, but the less you freak out and the less stuff bothers you. So, like, what bothers me now, uh, it takes a lot more to worry me uh, than than a bunch of years ago. So, you're probably going to be getting there soon if you're not already. And you, you've basically got, you know, an army of babysitters now, too. So, you're you're good to go. The older ones do help. That That's for sure. <laughs> well, it's, it's artificial leverage. You don't have people <laughs> like leverage, that. but you got artificial leverage. There you yeah. go. Well, 
Love that we're uh, getting football talk into child rearing. But this is a football podcast. We're here to talk football. And Bucket, I'm going to tee it up for you. Swing away, buddy. Yeah, Justin, really, I wanted to have you on here really for two reasons. One, like, I don't think you can tell the story uh, of this Kentucky football team without the offensive line and then some of the recruiting stuff. So, really, I really want to, like, jump in here. Offensive line – what what happened here? Why are there why are there problems? Why are they in the situation? And they are in it. I mean, I have to. To me, it it goes back to recruiting. Like, right, all your problems in football are usually go back to talent acquisition. Mm-hmm. So why 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 are we seeing what we're seeing this year? Do you think? I think it's a long time coming, and I don't want to say in Yen, on Yenzer's <clears throat> behalf, but I think it it does bear mentioning that it's not like. <clears throat> I mean, looking back, we probably should have seen some of this coming. And maybe the fact that we didn't was uh, maybe hopeful thinking, wishful thinking. Uh, Maybe it's been a little bit worse than we should have expected. Uh, But they've got guys playing out of position. They don't have any proven established depth. They didn't have it coming into the season. They've had to move guys around to all kinds of different spots. They're playing a couple of guys before they're probably ready, before, uh, I I guess, the normal time frame that you would want to see them in there. So it, it's a combination of a lot of things, three offensive line coaches in the last three years, the last offensive line coach Wolford, who I actually think pretty fairly highly of as a coach and fairly highly as a recruit. I don't think he was, you know, elite uh, in either area, but he didn't connect as well with some of the guys in the program uh, that uh, certainly not as well as Schlarman did. Um, and you wonder about the development impact there. There's a lot of, tensions uh that have strained the situation to this point and uh yeah like i would just say it's not a shock that they're struggling and the fact that they they were able to to have the line playing at such a high level and then it just drops off in one off season it looks like whoa what happened but but it was trending this way for a while i think recruiting misses they would have taken probably two more tackles last year if they could have but they didn't get any of those guys um, they're running an offense that I think is probably harder to block. Uh, and, you know, it's probably a difficult year to, to, to move in that direction like they have. And so I'm, I'm not shocked that they're struggling. How about you? Yeah, to me, there's two classes here, 2019 and 2020. Yeah. 2019, you only signed Jake Pope. That was a, a huge lottery ticket to begin with. 2020, you signed John Young, Jeremy Flax, DeAndre Buford, RJ Adams, Josh Jones. Are you? I'm not willing to bet on any of those guys being a quality starter at Kentucky. Well, so, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it's seeming like like who's to blame here, right? Like, there's really no one to blame because they had the Schlarman situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they needed yeah. a new offensive line coach in. You know, I would like to get Mark Stoops maybe on truth serum um, with the whole Wolford situation about really what happened. Should he have hired him? Should they maybe have – because that seemed like a pretty quick hire. Like he was the only guy. Should maybe they have looked at other options there? Um, because then I look at their next three classes, and I want to give them some benefit of the doubt. Uh, Jagger Burton, I think, has got a chance to be pretty good. Keontae uh, Goodwin, the return on investment early is not great, but – if you believe in his traits, he can turn into something. And I think Graham Bingham and Nicholas Hall got chances to be um, good players down the road. And David Wallbaugh is somebody I liked until I got, you know, I think I saw him, he just playing a little too early. 
Um, I'm not yeah. really to give, willing to give up on him yet, but it's seeming like these two classes right here were just just sunk them. I mean, the 2019 class in general could have sunk the program, really, if it wasn't for the transfer portal. Um, they were able to kind of fix some of those mistakes, but I really just think they just had a bunch of misses here two years in a row, and I don't know if it's really anyone's fault because the all the all line situ- the coach situation was just a little funky there for a little bit. Yeah, and they were recruiting guys for one kind of system. Yeah, uh, that they're not running anymore, and so a lot a lot of those guys that have some time under their belt that haven't been able to crack the depth chart. That's probably a reason for it. They had one vision for the offense in mind when they recruited those guys, and now they're just asking them to do something very different. And also the bar for being able to play tackle in the Southeastern Conference is pretty high. You know, That's not to say it can't be done. You know, Missouri has had some good tackle. I mean, every school in the SC has some good tackles, but it's, it's hard to get guys that can play tackle in this offense in the SEC. So, yeah, those two classes, 19-20, it's really – surprising that they have managed as well as they have as a program to have gotten nothing from the 2019 class with a couple of exceptions. 2020 is going to be interesting to look back on because there was so much hype, eight four-star guys on the offensive and defensive lines, and we'll see what they give in the long run, but you can't, you can't always trust the rankings, I would say. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good point you made too, Justin, because you've been doing this uh, longer than we have, especially when it comes from like the rankings perspective. And I, I, like, as luck had kind of laid out with that 20 class, there's some big time recruits in there that you got wins over between yeah. Buford and Young. And, and I go back all the way to 2014, and it showed the kind of wide variance there because I want to say there was what, like 12 four star guys, according to rivals in that class? Yeah, a lot. Four of them turned out to be almost like all time greats. And then, like, six of them never played a down, you know? So, like, I do think that there is something that to be said about uh, y- y- there's no such thing as a guarantee on the recruiting front. You're going to miss, right? Like, I don't know what the exact hit rate would be. You probably want it to be around 50%, 60%, and you would call that a success in the long term. I think part of it is Kentucky fans were so deprived of recruits at that level for so long that when they started to get and stack some of these four stars together, it's like, well, okay, this is the, this is the silver bullet. This is what we've been missing. This is what's going to change things. We'll talk to Tennessee fans about their experience with four-star players over the last two decades. You know, it's not a shock that four-star players don't hit. You still got a lot of development, a lot of personal traits, a lot of character traits, a lot of work ethic that you don't really know about. How's going to, how's a guy going to get acclimated to college? How's he going to take to his position coach? How's he going to respond when he's not on the, Depth chart in his second season. There's a lot of things that go into it. Just ha- just being a four star doesn't guarantee you success in the SEC. It just means that you have some traits on film that look really impressive that that maybe they can work with. We're not talking. They haven't. They don't have a bunch of five stars. So that it's not shocking that some of these guys haven't panned out the way that they thought. But you know, it's certain. It's a big disappointment. You thought that though that class was going to set you up for years and years on the offensive and defensive line, and it doesn't look like it's going to be the foundation for that. Well, and yeah. to yeah. to that point too, like it, uh, you, you mentioned Wallabaugh earlier. He's the perfect like in the old Schlarman way. It's you don't you're see not him seeing him until like, he's made red shirt sophomore season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the earliest, right? Mm-hmm. Three or four years in, like I, I feel like that's why you know I'm not giving up hopes on John Young yet either because it felt like the first two years, you know, 
you're not even seeing him start to turn that corner at all until year three. Yeah. Yeah. Me looking back though, I wonder how much was just a like a crazy good run. Like, will they be able to repeat this? Some of this O line recruiting. Like in 2015, you get Georgia Safo OJ and Logan Stenberg, same class, two draft picks. One guy's an all SEC guy. You get Landon Young and Drake Jackson in the same state in a 2016 class. You sign a lesser known guy named Luke Fortin who goes on to be an all SEC center, um, third round draft pick. Then you go in 2018, you get Darian Kennard. You get Kenneth Horsey. So you get two multi year starters in the same year. I just think they had maybe. They caught kind of maybe some lightning in a bottle. I don't. It's like the way they recruit. It's, it's hard to find linemen like that consistently. Um, and the key piece of that is gone now with John Schlarman. So I just I don't know. I, I and then I, I I'm worried about if they can't recruit if they can't start recruiting on the line better. Can they run this offense they're trying to run? Because um, I have my doubts that they can if they cannot start stacking some linemen in this program. Yeah, and I think the other thing too, like moving forward, uh, how, how we we know what the line is now, Justin. But can this offense still be successful if the quarterback's taking hits and Chris Rodriguez is consistently getting hit in the backfield? Yeah, I mean that's my question. <clears throat> you, Adam, you guys probably break it down better than I do with X's and O's. But my concern going into the, the the back half of the schedule, when I think about this game, I, I almost want to talk myself into the reasons why this is going to be redemption one week after you know the, the loss that is going to sting for a while. And when when I'm thinking like you just have to bank on them giving up five sacks. I mean that's right. <laughs> it's kind of I don't want to say depressing, but it's like that's where the strip sack comes from. That's where the turnover worthy throws come from. That's where there's a lot of stuff that that comes along with. So I think what Adam has said, and we've talked about this elsewhere, is um, it really is going to come down to Scangarello. And I'm not saying it's easy. Like, they maybe they lose, and maybe there's n- nothing he could have done. Like, we might get to the end of the game on Saturday and be like, you know what, that was just a better team. And with that line play, there's probably nothing realistic Kentucky could have done. But it is an opportunity for him. If they win, if they score 30 points, if they eke one out, then, you know, he's going he's gonna to deserve a lot of praise. Yeah, I, I, I'm having a hard time really kind of going one way or the other uh, with Rich Gangarello, year one. Um, you want to see the whole full season, but it's just been disappointing. Like, they've got a quarterback averaging over 10 yards per attempt. Like, a quarter of his throws are being completions of 15 yards, and they can't protect him. Like, I mean, because like, you could put – it feels like this offense should really be scoring a boatload of points. It, you know, but they haven't had Chris Rodriguez and him done together either. So, what does that look like if you can string some games together? Um, how much is on like this new scheme in the line, and how much do they need to like kind of scheme around it? I just, I, I don't know. It's just been put my mind in a pretzel trying to figure out like what what is really real and what is what's the real like what's really what they can do, what's what they can't do. It, but I just feel like it should be better. It shouldn't. They shouldn't be scraping and or scratching and clawing to score 19 points in an SEC game, especially with that many explosive plays, right? Like just players in general, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Because how how many times do we have that talking point? Is this the year Kentucky's finally going to be explosive on offense? They're looking at well, they're finally explosive, and you you don't have the similar uh, 
you know, efficient run game. So uh, I don't know. We can get more into the Kentucky, but that, but they might like they might have it with Rodriguez. Yeah, they just haven't been able to use them. That's why it's so. It's just been such a weird, funky year on offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. He was 17 for 100 in the first half last week, and then yeah. you come out, and I caught myself kind of tweet streaming, like, why aren't you giving him the ball? And you look at the game log, oh, and God. they go well, – part of it is they go so slow. Like, it's just not many plays. It's like if you don't give it to him much on one drive, well, they might not – they might have three more drives the rest of the game, and now you're playing from behind, and you've got to be cognizant of the time and – um, not much margin for error on this offense. And that's um, that's not what you thought you were going to say about it. I thought this would be a group that would be better playing from behind the sticks, you know. Um, but when the offensive line the, – the lesson is when the offensive line play is this bad, you can mess up something really, really potentially good otherwise. Yeah, just your margin for error is just so thin. Yep. Because the, yeah, uh, at any point you could be looking at second and 17. The uh, The game log, whenever it's – First down throw, like right after South Carolina scored and it went first down throw, uh, sack, big gain, sack. And you're like, you know, you just give it, give it a 24. And, and I think too, like they'll say like, you know, Rich is like, oh, he doesn't have to adjust his play calling to Chris. Yeah, you do. Like just give your best player the football. And it's, it's, it's not that complicated. I know we try to overcomplicate things, uh, at times, but a lot of it's just, What's the most efficient way to get your best players the ball? And sometimes it feels like they're jumping through too many hoops to try to make that happen. Maybe that's because of the challenge of scheming around that offensive line. Uh, but, hey, you know, just keep it simple, stupid. Like, And if it's just a matter of, like, guys one-on-one just losing matchups, like play after play after play, and you can never bank on who it's going to be, and you can never really isolate and identify, okay, this is what's happening on the left side. This is what's happening in the middle. This is what's happening on the right side. It's just kind of like a, almost like a game of whack-a-mole where you might, you're guessing where the issue, the leak is going to spring. That makes the fix a little bit harder in my mind. And the fact that they haven't rotated more guys in on some level, it tells you what they think about the guys behind the ones that are struggling. Because if I'm an offensive line coach, you know, not having an expert level knowledge of football, throw stuff against the wall, see what sticks. You know, at this point, it can't get any worse. Five sacks a game play in Miami of Ohio, Northern Illinois, Youngstown State. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out it's not going to translate too well against Mississippi State and Ole Miss, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, in South Carolina, the stat last week had brought as much pressure as any team in the country and was like last in sacks. And, well, weakness on weakness, South Carolina's weakness won decisively, and that's – I don't know what to say about that other than you need Mississippi State this week to not be the team that they've been the last three weeks, I think. Yeah, and Mississippi State's kind of the same way. They're in the hundreds tackles for loss. Yeah. So they, are we just penciling them in for 10, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. 10 and four sacks. Uh, yeah. I just don't know. Yeah, it's just been so – it's been so odd. Um, mm-hmm. that it's And it's been so bad, the offensive line. I just—it's been hard to believe. You, uh, I do think Eli Cox has played better the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks. I don't think Horsey's been terrible at left tackle. Tayshon's really been okay. It, it's just been, Jagger's just really going through some big growing pains, I think. And then it's just all the odds, odd lineups they've had. I think it's really kind of stunted any type of growth that they could potentially have. Yeah, injuries have not been kind 
uh, to this team, <laughs> right? Like it's the injury luck is a part of it, and that they have not had it this year at all. Um, we, we can get into some more Mississippi State talk, but I did want to ask a few recruiting questions uh, to Justin because the last this last weekend and this weekend is a big recruiting weekend. And right now, if I look at the on three consensus, Cats class is ranked 33rd. They've got a couple of those top 300 guys, uh, maybe about 40, 50% or top 500 players. And just overall, Justin, is this, is the class, uh, obviously there are players you have to close on, but do you at least see them as in a, a solid position or are they kind of treading water and got a lot of ground to make up over the last few months of this recruiting uh, calendar. Yeah. There's two parts of recruiting. Like there's the hype that, you know, Oh, you can identify a few classes around the country. It's like, why is Rutgers recruiting like that? Why is Louisville recruiting like that? And on the opposite side, you could say, why isn't Kentucky recruiting a little bit better, but all of this is really perception and projection. Like we don't actually know how good Kentucky's 20, three class is going to be until, until a year from now, when we start getting camp reports, when we start seeing who's showing up in participation logs and we're watching it for ourselves. So maybe this class is like the 2015 class in that it follows a class that's ranked much higher and they end up getting a lot out of it. And I'm not ruling that out. That, that's a distinct possibility. My concern is the offensive line would probably not be the strongest part of this class. You would say, I think, you can envision Malachi Wood putting it together with his past set traits and his athletic ability and becoming a guy and, and Austin Ramsey being somebody who moves people on the inside. And I really like Kobe Keenum, but really this is a receiver dominated class right now. That's, that's how, that's how you should think about it. Um, uh, it's, it's not a class that I'm super excited about. Uh, and it's a good thing that it's on the heels of the 22 class, which may end up giving them two or three, year's worth of impact players. The one thing I'll say is this class doesn't have guys like Pascal, Bowden, and by that I mean guys that you would be very surprised if they're not high-level impact players in the SEC. Maybe Avery Stewart, maybe a couple of others, but uh, there aren't a lot of surefires so far in this group. The the other question I have for you, because Jakeem Jackson – Florida commit officially visiting this weekend. Kendrick Gilbert, um, he's visiting this weekend as well. Purdue commit. Um, we can throw Carmelo English in there because he was mm-hmm. an Auburn commit. Are there any guys you you've got kind of circled? Like, all right, I can see Kentucky getting enough momentum to to get some late flips here in twenty twenty three. Jackson would be a little surprising for me because you know he committed to Florida even around the time his brother transferred to Kentucky for track, and it was never like, whoa, this is what's going to tip him over. So we'll see. He needs a good weekend at Kentucky, I think. But Kendrick Gilbert would make them a lot longer and better long-term up front. He's 6'5", 275. I think they got a good shot to flip him, him from Purdue. It comes down to NIL. If NIL is a factor, I mean, I, I hate that we have to even talk about it like this, but Purdue's not not even in as good a shape as Kentucky is in. Um, but, yeah, he, would, he fits the prototype of what they're looking for up front. So he would move the needle a little bit. And then I'm interested in how – the uh, the running back class shakes out because we don't know a lot about Caden Mormon because he hasn't played a whole lot or he, he's been injured some this year. And Khalifa Keith is looking at Tennessee as well. They're looking at Jamarian Wilcox. They're looking at Wisconsin commit Jaquez Keys. So that running back 
class is in maybe a total state of flux. And it's a very important class because you could be losing certainly two, maybe even three running backs, maybe even four running backs mm-hmm. over the next year to two. And those guys are going to be important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that, that might be another thing too, Justin, that we shouldn't overlook now. Um, but we might because Kentucky's done so well. It's, I mean, it's just like the offensive line where they've done so well at turning these three stars into quality players. Benny Snell and Chris Rodriguez, like nobody foresaw them being these kind of superstar talents, uh, came in, were incredibly successful. So you just kind of give this staff the the benefit of the doubt when it comes to running backs. But, you know, I, I don't want to be having this conversation three years from now when nobody can break a tackle, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we see Chris Rodriguez, the impact Chris Rodriguez made against Ole Miss. There's no guarantee there's going to be a Chris Rodriguez level player next year. So it's big. Mm-hmm. Like it? Welcome back. Yeah, I would just say the portal is just, you can find running backs in the portal. And yeah. so you get in a situation, it's not like offensive tackle. Um, I've got a true or false here for you, Justin. Oh, okay. It's looking like Kentucky is the leader for Danny O'Neill right now. Um, I I think they should feel good about getting him. If they get him in the fold, fans should feel good about Rich Gangarello finding a good portal quarterback since he landed um, the guy that they targeted or they kind of zoned in on early as the first high school quarterback. That's a good question. Um, If – I don't think the two are very related okay. because Danny, Danny O'Neill, I like him as a quarterback prospect and I think he can be fine. Fan, I can be, he can be a really good college quarterback. There's no reason for me to think otherwise, just because he's not a Will Levis prototype. He's three, whatever. Um, he's a different kind of quarterback. Um, but you've got Kentucky zeroing in on a guy that not a lot of other top, top programs have zeroed in on. It's not, if they get O'Neill, if they lock him in, it's not like, okay, whoa, Scangarello just beat Tennessee and Ole Miss head to head for a quarterback. It's he beat Indiana and Wisconsin and Purdue and schools. That's fine. That's good. But the portal is going to be a little bit of a different animal, but that's not a huge concern. I think with his connections and his background and his track record, um, and then the other current work in the opposite direction is, is the prestige of that quarterback position at Kentucky going to take a hit if the offense doesn't get it together this year? But I, I still think that they will have an adequate portal quarterback, and, and I think O'Neill will be a good college quarterback from high school. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do think that's interesting. I, I'm just fascinated with, like, Scangarello and this QB collective that we keep seeing, yeah. or I keep seeing pop up. Sounds yeah, like any California kid, they're maybe going to have a shot at. So we'll see. I mean, it's just I'm interested to see how that kind of develops. You would think a big part of Stoops hiring an offensive coordinator would be based on how they're going to function, how they're going to thrive in the portal era with quarterbacks just being born to transfer and it really being a one year free agency deal year after year. I mean, the number one factor when I'm hiring an offensive coordinator is going to be how is this guy going to navigate the portal and so you have to hope that that was a that was a big part of Stoops decision making process yeah and I I think that's also why he got Liam Cohn when he did targeted a quarterbacks coach uh similar here with the Scan gang 
that that is one of those tricky things though where you it's hard to to pontificate and talk about it now because you just don't know until you know right like it, it's it's yeah. it's something down the road but the this coaching staff has to be uh, ready and willing and, and prepared for when that moment ha- happens because you know three it's it's october 12th december 12th they should have you know their short list ready to pick and choose who, who it should be agreed like it yeah i think um next kind of big thing like kentucky's who should people be upset at that the quarterback situation is what it is um, we, we don't know about Kaya Sharon, but it's clear that he's not ready at this moment to, I think, really go win a game for you in the SEC. I mean, this has kind of been a thing for a long time now. And so, like, who does – like, is it just, you know, part of the deal you've got three coordinators in three years? Is it on Mark Stoops? What is kind of the reason, like, the quarterback situation still is what it is? I feel like perennially, just like year after year, they're in this situation or they have been in a situation where they've they've had to play a game of who are we going to target? Is it going to be worth targeting this guy and making him our guy for six or seven months if he's good enough that Alabama might swoop in at the last minute and just take him? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're, they've been making. Yeah, <laughs> they've been make, like with Mac, like Mac Jones. Kentucky very close to signing the eventual Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. Maybe a different future if he had picked Kentucky, but it was no guarantee that Alabama was going to take that guy. I mean, in fact, it looked a little bit silly at the time (laughs) with the construction hat and what Alabama was doing that they took him. Um, And they haven't won that game. They've won playing that game at other positions. Um, Think about somebody like Chris Oates, you know, in Ohio State or Lynn Bowden in Ohio State, are they going to offer? Are they not going to offer? And it hasn't tipped their way at quarterback. Those calculations haven't worked out because those calculations are usually like wait and see things. Like, okay, I know this school is prioritizing me, but I want to see how the season goes. And what that has amounted to is a lot of them watching bad quarterback play and kind of decide, well, yeah, this really isn't what I'm looking for. And then they double down with Bowden at quarterback in 18, and that really, I think, set them back. with That was – that, that allowed for a lot of negative recruiting because even though it saved their season and Kentucky fans think about 2019, I'm sorry, one way, um, that was just open season. Why would you want to go be a quarterback there if they can't get a backup ready and they're going to put a receiver there and just play backyard football? And that was right in the middle of a lot of this. So it's taken them a while to get out of it, but um, it's not Scangarello's fault. I would say that. Certainly not. And uh Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree on that note. But yeah, there there have been uh, not systemic, but like things have happened out of their control on a couple of these, um, whether it's offensive line, whether it's quarterback play. But like you said, there's been times where Kentucky hasn't hesitated to go up against the big dogs. Is there uh, is there any one school in particular that you see is becoming a real pain in the ass on the recruiting front for the Kentucky coaches? The problem is it happened all in like uh, the, the span of a year. Michigan State became hot before they they lost that. Uh, Tennessee turned it around. Louisville not really doing so much damage locally, kind of far away, but you got your eye on it and see if that's going to change locally. 
And then Cincinnati goes to the playoffs. So Kentucky is really surrounded by schools that elevated themselves in the recruiting game, either through NIL or other factors. And uh, I think that, along with replacing half of your staff, was a big deal for this 23 class. And, um, you know, it's not going to always be like that. But they do have to buckle in and be ready for Tennessee to stick around in recruiting and uh, Cincinnati is not going anywhere in recruiting either. And if they have to tweak the strategy and maybe go here a little bit more as opposed to there, that's going to be a decision they have to make. But, yeah, they've definitely they've a lot more competition over the last year than maybe the year or two before that. That's a good point. That's a good point. Luckett, do you have any more recruiting things before uh, we shift over to Mississippi State? Yeah, I think the last thing is just how should people feel about this class now two months going into signing day should they feel confident should they feel disappointed is or is it just is it just you know lukewarm is it just it's fine like where are they at and then is is there enough buzz there that maybe we could see a close a a strong close from the staff i think you know they could finish with two or three more four stars and then if they do that then it's like okay this is pretty much right in line with the average of what stoops has always had and that's what's correlated with the improved product on the field so if you're an optimist there it is the big thing is keep perspective we've seen that the 2019 class was pretty much totally obliterated and they just won 10 games and we had high expectations coming into this year so one class there are contingency plans and pressure valves and the portal and the next class could be better and the 22 class could be the reason to believe that even a week 23 class doesn't have to really set the program back that much, but it means they need to, they need to ramp it up in some other areas in, in the near yeah. future. I just found that interesting because this class is going to end up ranked around where most of their classes were. Yeah. But I think people are a little worried because of how good last class was. And how good maybe 2020 was, but now we're looking at it. 2021 class might be better than 2020 when you kind of compare the two right now. So you never really know how it's going to shake out. Um, so for me, it's really about finding guys that you know that you think you can feel really good about them uh, being hits. I think in this class, I think that's the number one key for them. The big thing, whether we're talking about off high school recruiting or the portal or the state of the program now, it feels like the elephant in the room is just the offensive line just what we opened up talking about that was at the center the foundation of everything that Stoops built. And you almost took it for granted. You took it for granted that it was always going to be like that. And it's not. And they pretty much have to rebuild that from scratch entirely. I would say that the optimistic note is if you look at coaches that have turned it around and sustained it, like at places where you didn't expect like Beamer at Virginia tech and Snyder at Kansas state and Fitzgerald at Northwestern and Beamer, mentioned stoops in line with some of these guys, especially his dad, those guys tip, they they go through ebbs and flows, but they typically figure it out. They typically, they had a method that works. They have perspective. They've got some coaching wisdom and they, they typically write the ship, but that offensive line, I'm not, I'm not really not even thinking about how they finish the class at other positions. It's how do they fix this line to remain relevant and who they've been. That's a good point. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. And I know uh, A&M getting um, the Pittsburgh kid. That was a tough. That was a tough loss. Um, and there's not there's not a whole lot of other big fish out there on the offensive line to go to go searching for. So, got uh, got to tighten it up. Got to got to straighten out the ship. Uh, but 
on the football field right here, right now, not talking about the future, they can straighten the ship with a win over Mississippi State. Like, I know um, the South Carolina loss, particularly for Kentucky fans, it was embarrassing. It was it was a swift kick to the groin because of the way that we look at South Carolina and that animosity between the two fan bases. But nationally, people are just like, well, they didn't have Will Levis. We'll drop them. We'll doink them for it. But, like, they're still a top 25 team. They're still pretty good. And if they get this guy back, they can be one of the best teams in the SEC East. So Kentucky can straighten the ship against Mississippi State this weekend. And, like it, I'm just loving the confidence you're bringing uh, into this matchup because you weren't having it last week, but you're you're, you're having it now. And that, that's what some folks need. They need a little pep back in their step. Yeah, I just think historically this has been a spot where Kentucky plays well. Um, coming off a disappointing performance at home, home underdog, they're 6-2-1 against the spread since 2016. Georgia is the only team that's covered. I just think you're going to see one of their better efforts, and I think there's some similarities with how South, with Mississippi State and South Carolina on defense. Uh, we just didn't get to see Will Levis last week against a defense like that, specifically uh, run run defense. They, Mississippi State is near – they're in the 90s in yards per rush allowed and – in some of the advanced metrics, they're well below 50 in most of them. So I think Kentucky's going to be able to run the ball with Chris Rodriguez, and that should open up things on offense. And I think Kentucky's kind of backed into a corner right now. Um, they're a wounded animal. And so I think you're going to see them come out and scratch and claw. And I think, like, especially around here, I think the performance of Will Rogers last year has, has a lot of people spooked with how Kentucky's defense is going to defend them. My argument is they won't tackle as poorly as they did that day in Starkville. I think that was the biggest issue. Um, and they, they didn't have any – their cornerback stunk the joint up. So I think you get better play at cornerback, you get some ball production, maybe an interception or two. I think things totally look different in that game. And so I'm willing to bet they're not going to play as bad as they did on defense down in Starkville. I'm willing to bet they're not going to have four turnovers and nine possessions again. And I think Kentucky's going to win this game. But the only thing holding me really back is can this offense, if Mississippi State scores 24, can they get to 28? Can the offense score enough points? I think that's – because I haven't seen it yet. I think they can do it. But I haven't seen it yet. But a lot a lot of signs to me point to good things happening for Kentucky in this game. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the um, – you mentioned the – the spot, right? I think what Kentucky's twelve and two as a home dog um, since twenty fifteen or something like that. Look at uh, Mississippi State. This game versus home versus away. Kentucky's winning this game by fifteen, an average of fifteen points at home. They're losing by an average of twenty two points away. And I also think it's important to note too that Mississippi State, even though they look like world beaters the last two weeks, they've also faced backup quarterbacks the last two weeks. So. Is as great as Mike Leach teams can look at times. Like Justin, Mike Leach Mississippi State teams are not invincible. They go through as many peaks and valleys as any program possibly can when he's running the show. That's right. And they're going on the road. That's a great sign. They haven't been on the road. If you listen to what Sam Pittman said after last week, um, some of their injuries, he, he mentioned that they, they couldn't stop the run. You don't expect Mississippi State to do that. They had some injuries, and they were limited personnel-wise, and he isolated their their inability to play the edge mm-hmm. as a big part of Mississippi State's 
uh, advantage against their defense. And Kentucky, you got to figure if you're looking for hope, they could be able to to not have that problem. They if they can finish plays right there, if they can stay disciplined, if they can play that scheme well, then that's not a problem Kentucky should have in this game. But you know, I I'll probably pick Mississippi State just because I think their offense and defense match up better with Kentucky's offense and defense than the other way around. But it's not a foregone, and the line is coming down for a reason. And, you know, we haven't seen Kentucky play at full strength on offense for a lot of this season. We haven't seen Levis and C-Rod together, and they sustained pretty good play against Ole Miss for, for a part of that game. If they could put that the peak that they, they got to in that game together for four quarters here against Mississippi State, even last year, two – we talk about 36 for 39, but if he had been a little errant on three of those throws, the margin for error is still the game could have been very different. He's not going to be that hot. So um, it was a three point game at halftime. Kentucky had the lead 14 to 10 with um, two minutes left in the second quarter. Right. It's kind of like Ole Miss, uh, Mississippi state against LSU. Just it, they, they kind of collapsed down the stretch. Yeah, um, they're not. That's a great point, Nick, about how as hot as they are and as scary as they can be, they have clunkers, and oh. Mike has been known for that. Yep, that, that LSU game too. I mean, they were they had the lead and it just evaporated, and they were down by three touchdowns just like that. I mean, it's it's crazy how quickly they unravel. The one part that I am going to, uh, I will lose my mind if this happens. It happened last year a lot because of those. Luckett had the stat of. It was like 3.3 yards per air. The ball was in there, but they averaged eight yards an attempt or mm-hmm. something ridiculous. If you look at their top six receivers, they have six, or they have six guys with 20 or more catches this year. Two of them are running backs. Uh, Dylan Johnson has 27 catches, tied for second on the team, and Jaquavius Marks has 20 receptions too. Jordan Wright, J.J. Weaver, hit the guy, tackle him. It's like <laughs> – He's going to be. He's going to catch the ball too. Alex Safari too is thrown into this group as well. Yeah, yep. like just just tackle that guy and don't let because it's kind of like the Chris Rodriguez thing on the other side. Whereas that's got to aggravate the hell out of you when you hit that guy at two or three yards and that turns into eight yards, right? Like mm-hmm. you cannot let them put the shoe on the other foot in this little swing pass game that Mississippi State will do all day long. That's there's right. No rant. There's yeah. no rant. I just can't. <laughs> I, I, I can't handle that this week. I was, I was waiting for that, Ralph. I was waiting for the <laughs> week of the rant. One thing uh, I'll say is last year the defense was just not good enough against the best teams it played. It wasn't good enough against Georgia. It wasn't good enough against Tennessee. It wasn't good, good enough against Mississippi State. I would put Ole Miss into that category, and 19 point, I'm, I'm sorry, 22 points and less than 400 yards is a different outcome than the defense had in those kind of games last year. So that's a good sign. Yeah, and I think – not the Georgia game. They were just so banged up on defense last year. And the cornerback situation was terrible. I mean, yeah, and they, they yeah. just got really picked on there against those good quarterbacks they faced. Um, I think they fixed like, I think they fixed it. Like, I think Kedron Smith has been pretty good. He's been better than I thought he would be. Um, I think Carrington Valentine's better. I th- think he's still got a ways to go. But I think the secondary is in good shape. And I think that's going to be, they're going to be tested. Um, this week, but you lose Jordan Wright in that game early. JJ Weaver was banged up. Now you come back, you got Jordan Wright, but Weaver's still banged up, so that's unfortunate. But they tried to play Weaver as like a five technique down on the line of scrimmage in their three down front last year. I don't think you're going to see that this year. I think you're going to see him at playing more out into the into the into the field as kind of an off ball linebacker um, to kind of like you said, Nick, to go hit those running backs when they throw those those swing tosses. Or to go blow up those bubble screens. 
when they try to run those. The one big absence I'm going to worry about too, this has been a great game for Jacquez Jones. I mean, playing center field, right, moving well in space, uh, making open field tackles. That's not – you know, that's his, his strength is against an offense like this with Derek Jackson. Uh, it's it's just – he's a thumper, right? He's an old-school thumper. It's a little bit different. But I'm kind of like you, Luckett, where it's, it's less about um, – it's less about the defense, the Kentucky defense versus the Mississippi State offense as it is the Kentucky offense versus the Mississippi State defense. And can anybody figure out this stupid well, Zach Arnett defense? Like, I feel very strongly about their – like what people determine their thoughts on Rich Gangarello is going to be from this game. Like whether they – he goes in – like he has an approval rating, like a positive or negative approval rating. I feel like we're going to – like it's that answer is going to be come yeah. from Saturday. Yeah. He's just got – like this is the, the line in the sand, I feel like, within – the fan base just like you need to we need to see it now um, it's been long enough you've been established enough this is your you know you got Rodriguez and Levis together you we need to see you go score some points if they go out here and score 16 points I think people rightfully are going to be upset about the state of the offense and what it looks like yeah there's there's no doubt about it Justin I'm curious is he has he been because you're you're monitoring uh, the Cats Illustrated House of Blue message board yeah. closely, so you're getting the wildest some, some days. Yeah. yeah. Like, so, like, has Gangarello been the epicenter of anger, or have you seen that? Where where are people directing most of their anger towards after back to back losses? Well, people, I mean, they want to say fire Stoops, but you sound stupid if you say that. So they want to say, I want to fire Scangarello already. So, I, I mean, that's that's where the message board people are at. Um, I mean, I get what they're saying. I get the frustration. Absolutely. And, you know, when, when you're talking and you're commenting in real time, all you have to talk about is like the hearing. It's harder to bring the perspective in. But, yeah, he's got something to prove for sure. They Fans are saying that, and I'm saying that. Like, you don't have this kind of personnel at most position groups on offense and rank as one of the worst offenses in the country and it not come back on the offensive coordinator at some level. Now, if this continues to the end of the year, and this might make some people cringe, I don't know, um, the offensive line has been enough of a problem that I think you got to bring him back and say – we try to fix this line and give him another chance to, to fix this offense. That's how bad the line has been. It's possible that he has very little responsibility for it. But the one thing we know is he hasn't been good. Like he hasn't, he might not have been bad. You might can say it's not his fault, but the results have not been good so far. And they put up 30 points this week. He can totally change the narrative. Yeah. Yeah, I I would like for him to prove you wrong because the the alternative is if, what, you're going to get rid of everybody and have four and four years that, right, offensive right. line and four they and four offensive coordinator. They're stuck with him. him. Like yeah. they, he has. They're stuck with him for here for a few years. They need him to go out and recruit a quarterback. Um, look like he might land O'Neill, which would be good. Go get a portal quarterback. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's not look good, and they need because at the end of the day, you've got to figure it out regardless. Like even if your offensive line stinks, you got to do things to kind of scheme around that. I um, mean, now it's time. Like, you need to go, go perform and go win a big game. Um, I think this would go a long way if they could put something to good, really good together on offense, and it could kind of spark the team. I think going into the bye week, um, going into the back half of the last five games of the schedule. Let's um, let's start to bring this to a close, uh, Justin. We appreciate you joining us. 
Um, this has been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of glad to get to hang out with you. I'd, I'd like to, you know, be hanging out with the baby or whatever, but that can wait. We can, we can talk ball for now. Um, you said you, you are ultimately going to pick Mississippi state to win, but I'm curious just how, if that does happen, you're looking at a month without winning, right? Three straight losses and then a bye week. And then you're going on the road to Tennessee, uh, if they beat Alabama this week, they're going to be the greatest team. Like L- Joe Burrow's LSU team is going to look like a peewee team compared to how the media is going to put them up. So you can hear my blood pressure rising just at the thought of it. It could be a disaster, right? But I am curious, just big picture, how do you think this season ends up uh, finishing out? Can it can it be an overall net positive, even if it isn't you know, a, a December Saturday in Atlanta? I sort of feel right now about the program like we felt during the COVID season when, in 2020 when um, you didn't have the SEC East schedule. It was it was a hard it, it. We don't know if it's a step back, if it's something to be worried about in the big picture or if it's a one off because, you know, there are a couple of things that are just tough to contend with this year. Um, if they go any worse than eight and four, it's going to be tough to view it as anything other than a disappointment. And that's a testament to where Stoops has brought the program. But because of the South Carolina loss, I think, frankly, you have to beat either Mississippi State or Tennessee for fans to really feel good about the season. And I'm not sure that's going to happen. But as with the 23 recruiting class, I would also say that one season that's off the pace, the trajectory that you've had for the last half decade, does not have to be any more than one down season. And, uh, you know, but if they meet, if they beat Mississippi State this weekend, then they're right where uh, you would you would have said was acceptable before the year started. I think if you wanted to, you brought up Pat Fitzgerald earlier as a one of these program builders at a non-traditional power. They're like 10 wins, nine wins, three wins, eight wins. ten. I mean, like that's yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're the perfect example of like you can have the highest of highs, sprinkle in a, a stinker and then still be all right in the long term. Yeah, the South Carolina loss opened a can of worms. It opened the possibility of really things getting ugly this season. But you go, you get a ranked team at home, Mississippi State, you beat them, you get the bye Like, everything is just like the sparks reignited. You get a bye week to get prepared for Tennessee. People are going to get excited about that game. You go and, you know, who knows what can happen. And then – you have a chance to end the schedule strong because you look at it, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Louisville are games you should win, right, in the back half of the schedule. So wins are there. You just got, like, you need a, a – you just need a spark right now. And I think this is a golden opportunity to get it. Get Mississippi State at home. Like I said, you're backed against the wall. And it's just – it would be a really big win, I, not only just for this season, for the program in general, to kind of continue their momentum forward. I just think it's a, mon- it's a monster, monster game because if you lose this one – then you very well could be looking at six and six. But it could also steady the ships, right? You know, right. 20. Or you could, or you could have a bunch of momentum going to Tennessee in a game. I think everybody would be pretty motivated to go play. Man, and just thinking, oh, ooh, ooh, what's I, I was playing nightmare scenario, dream scenario. You beat Mississippi State. Tennessee scores one hundred and seventy-five points against Tennessee Martin. They are like number three in the country. Everybody thinks they're God's gift of football. And then you just go in there and pick off Hendon Hooker three times and just like, oh, you, oh, oh just uh, the Boo Birds at Neyland Stadium would just give me life. 
more more picks in one game than his entire college career, right? Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Just yeah. like completely, like just throw in a clunker. Uh, oh God, to yeah. to ruin a Tennessee football dream season would just it would fill my heart. Oh, it would. It yeah, would. I mean that opportunity is on the table, but they it's, need it's, to. It's Lamar need... Jackson's Heisman year, right? Like that's what you'd be doing. They need to beat Mississippi State Saturday. They need to get this offense going. But that is, there is a scenario where Tennessee has their best team in 15 years, and Kentucky can go on the road and beat them. <laughs> oh man! Now we'll we'll see. They got a probably a lot better, but yeah, yeah. I, I think it all starts with this. Like this is a huge huge game and going to practice Tuesday it seems like the personnel on both coaches and players understand like in many ways this game is kind of the season like they really need to go out here and play well and get a win and so we'll see how it shakes out Saturday night I don't want to end it on a negative note but oh the, damn it the, Justin the concern that I have is that it's not one I don't feel like it's a, all right you got to dig your heels in and the culture win. I thought that was last week would let us out this week. Like, can they make few enough mistakes? And that's my question. They've made mistake after mistake after mistake in holds and blocks. And you can't make mistakes this week. You can't make too many. And that's something they haven't been yet, but I'm, I'm eager to let them prove me wrong. Well, and, and that is the, the thing about this team too, Justin, that's so damn disappointing is it's just, self-inflicted like a lot of this stuff is just like just do make the routine plays the two losses a lot of them in large part have just been catastrophic mistakes on something like just it's not just been players it's been coaches too coaches have made i think big mistakes in these games and so like they just it's a whole it's a whole kind of organization of they all need to be better and sharper um, if it's second and 12 don't run a double move to chauncey magwood <laughs> hand the ball off to chris rodriguez i mean yeah. you know what i'm saying like it's just like they just don't run a revert don't run a gadget play in your opening script save that for the middle of the second quarter beginning of the third quarter well just and stuff like that and that's why uh my, my buddy's a barber i go into the shop yesterday and he he had it ready too i knew it was coming like uh, kentucky's just will levis and a bunch of dudes right he brought out the old booger mcfarland joke but you can't say that because they they do have a lot more talent yeah. out there but they're just getting they're, they're getting in their own damn way and really if kentucky can get out of its own way then the season can yeah. be turned around yeah i do think defensively they have they're playing at I don't know if they can sustain it, but they're playing at like a top 15-ish level. It feels like it's a top 25 defense. And you've got a first-round quarterback and all-SEC tailback and receivers you think are really good. If the offense can get humming, you really kind of have something there. Um, you just got to get the offense humming. And, again, it comes back to this week. They gotta, they've got to play well. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. the, this is the spot. This is the circle on the calendar, circle the wagons. This is it. This is We're going to find out, I think whether they have it or not this Saturday. We'll see Kroger Field, 7.30 kickoff. Uh, Justin, Justin Rowland, Cats Illustrated. Follow him at Rowland Rivals on Twitter, uh, House of Blue message board. A lot of great stuff over at Cats Illustrated. A lot of great stuff at portroyalplants.com too. Thanks to our presenting sponsor today. Uh, Any final thoughts, Justin, before we, we get out of here? 
maybe maybe the return of Will Levis will bring the swagger back to Kentucky football. Not long ago, we were watching Kentucky on the road against a top 15 team, and it was almost like it was a thing of destiny. The way they were marching down the field, they looked like the superior team. It looked like Ole Miss had run out of gas, and it looked like Kentucky was just going to finish that game the way they did against Missouri with Bowden a few years back. And it's possible that I'm just totally underselling them, and, and this is what they need. They needed to go through this adversity. If this is a team like Kentucky's last three or four teams since 2018 when they learned how to win, when the culture change really happened, then they will rebound from this. But those 2016 and 2017 teams, they wouldn't have rebounded from these last couple of weeks. And we'll find out which kind of which kind of team this is. Ah, there we go. That's it. Go. Positive. Woo! Yeah. Ah, man. Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, for more, I guess, check them out. CatsIllustrator.com. Lucky and I are going to have plenty more reading into the game. Uh, he's going to be. Well, Rush may or may not. Day. We'll we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Who he's, knows? He's day to day like Will Levis. He just oh, doesn't man. know what's going on. Right, right. His, his turf toe is a little, a little <laughs> unpredictable. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you much, Justin Rowland, for Adam Luckett. I'm Nick Rouse. We'll see you later. Go Cats and go Kroger. See you.